we doing today? Well, good. It's great to see you all here in person and online. Uh, my son and I had a great drive this morning. There was a, 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 a nice cloud cover and just a slight slit through the sky, and we decided it looked as if the sky was cracking as the sun shined through. So I hope that you all were able to see at least a little bit of that this morning. Now, the, the title of our teaching today is called God's Power Comes to Those Open to Possibility. And it struck me as I read that, that with a large percentage of us being raised with the American mindset, it's kind of a no-duh moment that we're all open to possibility, right? Where, where the title alone is the American's mantra for success. So if you've ever spent even just a hot second listening to the land of the self-help empowered entrepreneur, you'll know that if you wake up in the morning with some solid affirmations and a good old-fashioned power stance, that everything in your life is going to fall in line because you've shifted your perspective and you've claimed that potential of possibility. Now, I don't want to diminish that power of perspective and mindset because it's a legitimate thing. Just a slight shift in perspective can make all the difference as you face a situation. Though I do want to ask the question, as we're all gung-ho for possibility, what possibility is it that we're truly open to? We tend to run our lives a bit like an offensive play on the football field. There is a goal, and we have our sights, and we, we begin to calculate how we're going to get there, and we set up all of our blocking schemes to prevent anything or anyone from getting in our way and interfering with that goal. And we'll run the power play, spreading the field with all of our offensive blocking. And what we put into these positions, what we spread out across the field, well, they're indicators of whether we're the ones who are setting up and running the win and, you know, maybe bringing God in prayerfully at the end, like, please help me see this through, or if we're running God's possibilities where he sets up the play and we offer over what we have to run his win. Often enough, we are open to possibility, if it's the possibility we're desiring. Now, our scripture today is quite long, so I'm going to read it for you. And what I would like to invite you to do is to imagine yourself sitting around in a circle time at a library as a child, listening, and really try to soak in the story and immerse yourself in it. So one day, Elisha went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp, so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. One day he came there, and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. When he had called her, she stood before him, and he said to her, Say now to her, See, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, What then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, Well, she has no son, and her husband is old. He said, Call her. 
And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. And he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived, and she bore a son about that time the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers, and he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. And the father said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys, that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, Why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon or Sabbath. She said, All is well. Then she saddled the donkey, and she said to her servant, Urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, Look, there's the Shunammites. Run at once to meet her and say to her, Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, All is well. And when she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said, Did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? He said to Gehazi, Tie up your garment and take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not reply and lay my staff on the face of the child. Then the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound or sign of life. Therefore, he returned to meet him and told him, The child has not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself upon the flesh of the child, stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. So he called her, and she came to him. He said, Pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 37. Now, I need to start this whole thing with a serious disclaimer. I'm no expert in football. Uh, this is proven by the fact that I did years of cheerleading, not knowing what first and ten do it again really meant. I just thought it was a cute rhyme, and it sure did make people happy when I said it. So if I mess this up, just know, I do have Google at my fingertips, so I did my best, and I do know enough to, to say that we love a good run and a good play while bringing in the win. 
So when we're looking for the possibility in our lives as we make decisions, I'd offer that while we're going to have our own flavor, we're going to play things out a little differently, we do have similar components in our strategy. And it looks a little something like this. We'll set up our offensive line to assure that our safety needs are secured. So we need income, food, and clothing. And once we've got those basics lined up, we're going to begin to seek wealth and comfort. And to do that, we're going to look for all the right people. You know, we need to make the right connections, line up our resources, and then we're going to begin to wait for the right timing, that right moment to move. And so with our fingers crossed and a little prayer, we'll make our play toward that possibility we have our sights on. And some of us may place more emphasis on one of these areas than another. Like somebody may be really all about the right timing, whereas another may be all about the people and resources. Take me, for instance. I'm probably going to lay out about three different plans. I'm going to lay them side by side. I'm going to do an assessment, and I'm going to pick the one that's most efficient. And some of you just hearing that are probably banging your head on a wall going, no, I just want to trust my gut. I've got my feet on the ground, and I'm ready to run. Let's go. Let's do this. Where others of you are probably thinking, I don't want to do either of those things. Everything's fine just as it is. Thank you very much. I'm going to stay where it's safe. So whatever our flavor is, we are still strategizing. We still have our sights on something. Now, if this isn't turning on a light bulb for you, I'd like you to think of the last time you made a big decision in your life. So whether it was to advance a relationship to become more serious or call it off, to invest some of your money or buy a house, to look into a school program or a degree, or making a decision to have kids or to make a decision for your kids, Essentially, if you have skin in the game, you're likely to have a strategy. Now, our Shunammite woman and our scripture today, she flips the usual strategy on its head. And when you first read it, she comes off a little timid, like this woman's not open to possibility at all. What's her deal? But then later, later on, she's practically throwing elbows. And so you begin to think, well, is she timid or is she rude? What, what's even happening here? As we come to the Shunammite woman, Elisha has been following his call. He's been running his prophet gig, and he's traveling along when this woman begins to offer him food and a place to stay. And so similar to Elisha, we're scratching our heads wondering, like, what's in it for this lady? What does she want? And so he says to her, look, you've done a lot for us here, so what can we do in return? Do you want me to give a good word about you to those in power? It's that proverbial, you've scratched my back, now let me scratch yours. Or if you want to have a more skeptical outlook, it's the, you've been scratching my back, so what is it that you're really angling for? And in this interaction, what we learn is that this woman is different than what we would have ever expected. Because she says, no nah, man, it's all good here. I have what I need living with my people. Full stop. And even Elisha, he looks over at his wingman and he's like, what? Surely there's something that she needs. What is it? I can't think of it. Now, if you're like me, the obvious answer was a few verses before. It tells us she's wealthy, so it's clear she already got hers. And so if we were to look at our lineup, we can check off that she's got safety. We can check off that she has her wealth and comfort covered. And maybe here with Elisha, she's lining up her resources and her people. And so eventually, surely, her play is going to show itself. The woman is not as secure in all of this wealth as we'd like to think, though. We have to go into her context, into her culture. 
And we learn that she has no son and her husband is old, which means when he dies, and since he's old, is going to be sooner rather than later, all of her current wealth and security is going to be at the hands of another man in her family. So she's doing well right now, but her future is bleak unless she has a son to inherit all of everything that is hers so that she can lay claim to it. So if this were you, what would you be doing? If you know your future is bleak and Elisha's saying, hey, what can I do? Probably setting things up and waiting for the right timing, yes? And that right timing is right now as Elisha makes that offer, but she makes no advances. And that is when her heart begins to shine, and it points us towards a new play that we didn't see coming. If she isn't seeking wealth or security, she says no to positional power and doesn't make any other requests, then this must truly be an offer to Elisha of food and rest with no entanglement. Earlier on, she says to her husband, this man is holy. So her heart has seen what is holy, has recognized what is holy, and then in response to this, she offers what she has available, which is for her is to provide food and water. So her power play is not what we would expect. It's not what's in it for her. She offers what she's been blessed with to God's purposes and shows us a new strategy. So what would it look like if we did this? You may be thinking, well, I'm not a wealthy person, so I can't really give in this way, though really, as we mentioned, neither could this Shunammite woman. She needed to be securing her future. So you may not have wealth to give, though God, I would argue, has blessed us each with something. It may be that you have gone through so much hardship in your life that when somebody else goes through hardship, you have a heart for that person. That is a blessing. It's it's an eye-opening, didn't-see-it-coming gift, but it is a gift. Or maybe you do have physical resources, you have money, you can provide shelter, or you have a specific skill set or trade that you can provide. We typically, we have a blessing, and we don't see it when we begin to hoard it, when we begin to grab it and hold it to ourselves. And remember how I asked earlier, what possibility is it that we're really in for? Well, when we hoard, when we hold on to these things, we learn that the possibility we're in for is the possibility for ourselves. While when we hand over what we have to God's purposes, to what is holy, then a new power play takes a hold of our lives. And it's as simple as asking the question, am I holding personal power and resources for my own possibilities, or have I handed them over to what is holy? If we stay with our typical strategy, what we may even find is that our offensive line begins to treat God's purposes for our lives like the defense that we need to block to keep it from driving down our advances. And so we'll tell ourselves, like, look, I've got God's purposes out on the field. I've thought about it. Only we'll end up running right around it, setting up and blocking everything that God may have in store for us. You see, if the woman had agreed to what Elisha had offered, if she had taken those good words to the commander, or if she'd asked for something else, she would have missed out on God's provision for her life. She ended up having her future security assured to her and provided to her because she set down her own gains and instead offered what she had. When she is blessed with a son, she makes it clear to Elisha. She's like, listen, dude, don't mess with me. 
Do not lie to your servant. I didn't ask you for anything, so if you're doing this, be serious. Don't mess around with me. And sure enough, as he says, the son is born, though of course the tragic happens and her son ends up dying. And that's when we want to take back our old, our old playbook. It's like that aha moment. Because there's a catch, isn't there? There's typically a catch, or at least that's how we're wired to see it. We may get our blessing, but it doesn't protect us from tragedy. So why wouldn't we stick with the old playbook? We can stay in control, ensure our safety, thank you very much. But once again, this woman, she does something different. With each step, she shows something new. She throws things aside. She, she doesn't line things up perfectly. She doesn't wait for the right timing. When her husband says, why are you going to Elisha now? This isn't even the right day. She just throws him off. She's like, all's well, I'm out. And when the servant stops and says, are, are you okay? She says, all's well. And she begins, this timid woman that said, no, I'm good, is now, like I said, she's throwing elbows and making her way to the man of God. She goes, and she goes now. And so how often do we do that? You know, when, when we, we offer what we have to God, and we say thank you for the blessing, but then tragedy strikes, we want to grab back that playbook and lay out our strategy. But how often is it that we set everything down and just run straight to God? She doesn't wallow. She doesn't wail. She doesn't curse God or Elisha. She doesn't lay out how righteous she's been and begin shaking her fist, saying that something is owed to her. Instead, she goes, and she goes straight away to lay it all at, at, at the man of God's feet. If she had stayed relying on her own power, her son would have remained dead, and all she would have had is to strategize her next advance. So what if, when tragedy and hardship come, we immediately put aside any of our pomp and circumstance to draw near to God. You all, it's a whole new playbook. At every way, it's a new way of being that she shows us. It's not about comfort. It's not about safety. It's not about getting what is due to her. She has been grateful of her blessings, offered over what she has, and now runs to the Lord. And as it all comes crashing down around her, like she held it together. I mean, she didn't even tell her husband that her son had died. Did y'all notice that? She just, all's good, deuces, I'm out. So she holds it together, and now as she arrives, she is at his feet in distress. And this is when we see the heart of the mother pouring out. And when we can say that the power play we're running is God's instead of our own, we will find ourselves standing before God, offering ourselves over to him, trusting him to care for our needs. He provided for the woman. He gave her what she needed for longevity. And then when things don't go our way, we don't snatch back the control and instead run. So pause to think about it. I want you to reflect on your life. Is there something that you are currently strategizing what is it that you might be clinging to? And it doesn't have to be monetary. It doesn't have to be success or some pedestal. It could be a conflict. It can be anything going on in your life, even a view of yourself, something that you're clinging to and hoarding for your own gain. And then ask, is it possible that you can hand it all over to God for his possibilities? We say we will follow Jesus, and we say we want to cross over to allow God to work in our lives. 
but we must ask ourselves, are we really open to God's possibility and power, or are we still running our own game? Now, through this series, we have had a prayer. And so, as I've asked those questions and you investigate your hearts, I'm going to pause for y'all to think through that, and then I'll begin this prayer for us to pray together. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Spirit, I long for more of your power and presence. Today, I lay down and then offer up whatever it is you lay down. I pray today you would start a new work. I pray that you would have your way in me, in our church, in your world. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. So things are looking very different now, as the script on the power play totally flips. The woman tells Elisha that as the Lord lives, and that he, as he, Elisha, lives, she is not going to leave him. So her son is laying dead, and she holds herself in step with the man of God as they make their way to the house. And as all of this plays out, I can imagine that her heart is beating fast and everything's moving in slow motion as they make their way to her son. This woman offered what she had available to God. The woman has asked nothing for return and has been blessed by God's provision and now also sees her destruction cross over from death to new life in the restoration of her son. God's possibilities were made available because she didn't lay out her own advances. God's blessings came through Elisha because first Elisha offered himself to God, and then she offered herself to the needs of Elisha as Elisha was faithful. God's power came because she set aside her own. Now, my favorite part of this whole story, and it's the final play in this really strange playbook— And it comes in the last two lines with the magical word, then. You see, Elisha has prayed over the child, and and the child has come back to life, and he has given her permission to go pick up her son. Now imagine, your son has been laying there dead, and you have just now been given permission to go grab your child and hold that child close. And so unlike any other mother I could even imagine, we find her throwing herself down at Elisha's feet. She bows before him with gratitude, showing continued faithfulness, humility, and gratitude. And then, you all, then, after she has shown that that humility and gratitude before him, then she picks up her son. So even now, before embracing her son, she puts herself aside to honor God's work in her life. You all, this is a new way of being, a completely different way of seeing, and I pray a possibility for us all. Let's bow our heads. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much for your word as it shines into our hearts a new way of seeing and being that might honor you 
And so, Lord, as we move into these next weeks, we just ask that the Holy Spirit would speak to us in ways that we might see how we can honor you more, how we can set ourselves aside for your purposes, that you might work in us and in, in others because we are able to do this. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you will empower us and enable us to do this. And we just lift all of these things up, Lord, in your heavenly and holy name as we give thanks for all that you have done. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you.